and we think about it, and we, we may come up with a lot of answers kind of off the top of our head, but this is what I would say. In order to know where the secret place of the Most High is, you've got to know Him. If you want to know the, the, the secret place, my, the place where I like to hang out or be quiet or where I want to find space or my sanctuary, you know, that place maybe in my life, your life, we all have a place. It's our, it's our special place. That's the place we like to be. Maybe it's up on top of Elk Mountain it's just as it's beginning to snow but not too much snow on the ground and, and watching elk walking around. Or maybe it's, maybe it's being down at the river watching the ducks fly in, right? All cupped up, ready to get shot. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it it is. Um, you know, sorry, ladies, I don't know no, no girly things. Um, holding a grandbaby, yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, I, in fact, when my kids were little, one of my favorite things was to have them fall asleep on my chest. You know, and it was it was awesome. So, what what I'm saying is, the psalmist is saying, man. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, the guy who's got a close relationship with God and who knows that place where God meets him, that place where God's at, he dwells under the shelter of the wings of the Almighty. That guy, that guy with that relationship. So when we, when we work our way through uh, uh, the Old Testament, when we look at the Old Testament scripture, I just want you to see God didn't change from old to new. God was the same then as he is now. And the same, the same things. We, we get hung up on it because when we read some of the Old Testament, it's like reading a history book. And we lose sight of the personal nature of God and his relationship with his people. But when we read the Psalms, we get to see the personal relationship, right? Where, where the people were dwelling in the Most High. They were abiding under the shadow, under the shelter of the Almighty. So I'm in the place where God is and that's pretty much where I want to stay. Now, a lot of times in my life, I have dwelt outside of the shadow of the Almighty. Because I know where that place is, too. I know where to go, you know, where I'm not where God wants me to be. Where I'm not in that secret place, that, that intimate place with God. I don't want to live there. I want to be in my refuge. My refuge is Him. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, I will say of the Lord... Again, look at it, capital L-O-R-D. Remember what that means? That's the proper name of God. It's Yahweh, Exodus 3.13. When Moses said, God, who will I tell the children of Israel when they ask me, who's sending me to them? What should I tell them? And God said, you tell them, I am that I am. The Yahweh. When that comes up, that, that name... Uh, the I am, God, that's why it's so important when we see Jesus say those phrases, right? I am, I am, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. It's kind of an important concept when we look at the deity of Christ. So when we look at this, this that's the name of God. So we see capital L-O-R-D anywhere in the Bible. God's proper name. God's proper name is Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H. The reason there's a V or a W is because they're both the same letter in Hebrew. There's not a V and a W. They're one letter together. Yahweh. Yehovah. We don't know the vowels in between because when they wrote ancient Hebrew, they just wrote the consonants. So we come to the name of God and we go, well, Y-H-V-H. How do you say that? Yehovah. Yahweh. So that's, but we know when we see it, the Tetragrammaton is God's proper name. So look what he's saying. This guy, in, in order to know God's 
proper name, you had to be a covenant people with God. The average guy walking down the street did not know God's covenant name. You get what I'm saying? But when you had a relationship with God, when you, when you said from standing outside the covenant, and you said, you know, I want to come in to this covenant. I want to be in this relationship. Then you knew God's name. Then you're under the shelter of El Shaddai, the mighty, almighty God. So, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. So the idea, this is it, this is the place. We all got places we run to when, when, when there's trouble. When we are in trouble. Maybe we run to mom and dad. Maybe we've got a really close friend we'd run to. Maybe, uh, maybe there's a pastor or a counselor we really like and we'd run to them. But the point of the psalmist is, because I am in the secret place of the Most High, I'm in this place where I'm in close proximity to God, I'm covered by His wings, He's the one I run to. God's the one I run to. If we're honest, most of us run to God last. After we've exhausted everything we think we could do to fix it. Then we, how many times have we uttered the words, well, I guess all I can do is pray. Yeah. That's probably a bad way of looking at it. I catch myself saying the same things. But the point is, if we find ourselves drawing near to God, then we need to be saying of Lord, He's my refuge, my strong tower, the place I run to for help, and I'm putting my trust in Him. Put my trust in Him. There is nothing, if you're a believer tonight, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, there is nothing that enters your life. There is no thing that comes into your life that didn't pass through God's hands. You might not like that, but that's quite simply the truth. So it come, it come through His hands. And I know whatever circumstance, no matter what it is, no matter bad news, good news, uh, um, hardship, difficulty, I know that God brought it into my life not to destroy me. Right? That's a promise from Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you what? Future and hope, right? The point is, I, I, I didn't do this to destroy you. In a relationship with, with, with the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ was destroyed for me. He bore the wrath of God for me so that I could have a relationship with God Almighty. In that relationship with God Almighty, I know God only brings things into my life that are going to be for my good and His glory. So I can trust Him. Doesn't mean easy, but I can trust Him. I, I have this relationship. Then in verse 3, look what he says. Surely He shall deliver you. So, so the first two verses were personal. The psalmist is saying, God's my refuge. He's, he's my lighthouse. What I like about that concept, about God being our refuge, is... You guys ever seen the picture of the waves beating on the lighthouse? You ever seen that one picture, you know, the crazy huge wave, and there's a little dude standing down there? And wonder, oh, wonder how that guy did with all that. But here's what I love of it. No matter how big the waves hit the lighthouse, does it ever go away? No, it's at the end of the wave, crashes through, and does it, well, all it's going to do, lighthouse is still there. God's... God's Refuge, his strong tower, it doesn't go away. And now the psalmist turns to others outside of him personally. He says, surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. 
So God will take care of you just like he takes care of me. God will take care of you. And from the perilous pestilence. So he gives two pictures. He gives a picture of the fowler, the guy who traps wild birds, catches wild birds. I always laugh because when, when I go duck hunting, Kathy will ask me, how many did you catch? Not a one. I killed, hopefully, as many as I possibly could. And she's going to make duck gumbo, which just makes me happy. But the fowler in the Bible was a guy who trapped them. He trapped them, caught them in, in, a, in a snare. So the idea is, the psalmist is now looking at this guy, and he sees his life as he being a wild bird fleeing from the fowler, trying to trap him. And he says, God will deliver you from that. He's your refuge. He's your strong tower. Look at verse 4. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will take refuge. Remember he said the same picture when we look at verse uh, verse 1. He shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's a picture like a big bird and being finding safety under the, the shadow of his wings. So here he's saying the same thing. Look, he, he'll cover you. You. He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. Under, under his wings, you will take refuge. He will cover you with his feathers. His truth will be your shield and buckler. So that thing with which we repel the attack of the enemy is God's truth. A lot of times when we face different kinds of attack, where do they attack? The devil does the same stuff all the time. Think back to Adam and Eve. What was the beginning of his attack against Eve? Hath God said. Right? Are you sure that's what God said? We have the word of God and the devil attacks the same way. Right? Are you sure that's what God means? Are you sure that was God's intent? So what's his desire? When the devil comes at us like that, what he's wanting us to do is to take our shield... That which protects us from attack. How did Jesus de de defeat the devil in the temptations? you remember? What did he do? He quoted the word of God, right? He quoted the word of God. Three times he went to Deuteronomy. And he quotes Deuteronomy. He quotes the word of God. The devil defeats the devil. Goes away to a more opportune time. What the devil wants us to do is take our shield and lay it down. Yeah, that's probably not any good. <laughs> Think about every culturism that you're going to talk with. Whether, whether you're talking with... Uh, people from another religion, maybe you're talking to, to a Muslim person, everybody attacks the truth of God's word. Everybody who doesn't hold that God's word is true says it's corrupt. It's an assertion. You guys know what I mean by an assertion? An assertion is a truth claim anybody can make, but you've got to show me something about it. I can say anything. I can say pigs can fly. Does that make pigs fly? I can say the Bible's corrupt. Does it make the Bible corrupt? No. And ultimately what, what someone like that is doing is just repeating something they've heard. Not something they've experienced. They're reading something they heard or something they read out of a book. But if you spend a little bit of time wanting to know, is that true? All of a sudden you begin to realize, wow, you know, as early as the first century, before the end of the life of the, the Apostle John, books by Paul, general epistles, and the gospels were already being spread around. 
people were already reading them they were already being bound together in books we know that because we find them you know you spend a little time digging in the dirt and you go oh look I found a book what book is that I don't know but it's got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John oh together just like that so you really think that didn't happen until the 400's that's crazy but what does the enemy want us to do start saying yeah we can't count on this you know I heard they found the gospel of Thomas and I don't know they didn't put the gospel of Thomas in the bible I don't know why they didn't put the gospel of Thomas in the bible it's crazy surely if it says gospel on it they should put it in the bible right the gospel of Thomas is the craziest book you could ever read it talks about the ability for a woman to pass into the presence of God and enter into heaven requiring her to change her sex does that seem odd to anybody else seem like a kind of a weird deal and considering that that book doesn't show up till six eight hundred which is you know something like 500 years after the Bible's been put together yeah, I think I'd pitch it. I don't care if they dug it up. If it's in here, and it was in those books we find put together, we go, oh, look, here, look at all these. Oh. But what does the devil want you to do? The devil wants you to set it down. People come and they say, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. You know, Mark says that, that when, when Jesus was dealing with Jairus' daughter, he, he, his story is much longer. You go to Matthew, his story is much shorter. I mean, obviously, they, the two weren't at the same thing. What are you talking about? I'll, I'll give you a perfect example of Mark and Matthew dealing with Jairus' daughter. You ask Kathy to tell you a story from our family, and you ask me. <laughs> what do you mean? Say, Kathy, tell me about the birth of your son Cole. I can do that because he's not here. And Kathy will tell you the way the sun looked in the sky, the temperature outside, how she felt the morning as she began to prepare herself for having a child and I will say yeah he was born September 9th he just came out crazy like a monster growling and moaning and he and Kathy's eyes popped that's what I'm gonna tell you because those are the things those are the things that impacted me as I watched the event right I'm thinking I'm watching my wife she's giving birth she's pushing and I watch her eyes pop I thought she got inhabited by a demon right then you ever watch the whites of someone's eyes pop and turn blood red? Yeah, don't judge me until you've been there. Right about that time, the doctor takes Cole out of... Uh, well, you guys get the idea. Takes Cole and, and lays Cole down on top of, of Kathy's belly. And I watch a brand new infant, low crawl, growling like... A, a, yeah, it's crazy. She'll tell you that this part we agree on. And he's low crawling up her so he can breastfeed. And her eyes popped and turned all red. And he's going, coming, and, I, and I'm just backing up like, what? Now, if you ask us to tell the story, you're going to get the abbreviated story from me and a longer story from her. But we're both telling the same story. At the end, what happened? Cole was born. What's the point of the story of Jairus' daughter? They thought she was dead, and Jesus raised her from the dead. 
Is that part of the story still come out of the story? Even though one guy's abbreviated and the other guy tells a longer version? Don't listen to the lies of the devil to try to say that's not truth. Set down your, your shield, set down your buckler, and then next thing you know, you're getting hammered by the devil. Has God said that? Has God said that? Pretty soon you've surrendered everything. Including faith. Truth is our shield. Truth is our buckler. What I do with my... You guys got to watch me when I start talking and I put my glasses away. Because I cannot see anything. Oh, there's words on the page. Okay, so you shall not be afraid of the terror at night. First thing that happens, I lay down my truth, I give up my shield. What's the next thing that happens? Get afraid. What am I talking about? You remember Adam and Eve. Okay, devil says, have God said. Eve says, yeah, you know, I don't know. Maybe we should have it. She looks at it. She wants it. She takes it. She gives it to Adam. They both eat. What's the next thing that happened? God comes down into the cool of the evening in the desert and he calls for them. And where were they? Why are they hiding? They are afraid. He says right here, we're, we're in that right place with God. We're in that right relationship with God. What's he say? You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. He says, nor of the arrow that flies by the day, nor of the pestilence, that's disease, that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste in the noonday. In other words, when you have a right relationship with God, you don't have to be afraid of nothing else. Because the worst thing that can happen to you is somebody taking you and putting you in God's presence. That's really not a downside. That's it. It's the worst anybody can do. Look what it says in verse 7. Nothing, nothing comes to me but by God's leave. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near to you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. He's saying, look, you, you may be surrounded by all these. There's so many stories in the Bible about guys Huge odds surrounded, bad guys everywhere, nobody's going to get out of this alive. God shows up and everybody's fine. <clears throat> over and over. What's it tell us? That God's able to deliver us. God's able to deliver us. And sometimes God doesn't deliver us. Why? Remember what I told you in the beginning? Everything that passes through God's hand is for two things. What? God's glory and our what? Our good God's glory, right? For we know all things work together for good to those who are called, right? We know all things work together for, we, we hope, and we know all things work together for good to those who are called, right? The called, those who have that relationship with Jesus Christ. He does this work. We know he's got us. We know he's going he's gonna to bring it through. We know it's going to be okay. We can trust him. So he says, now, not only they may fall, they may not come near you, all this stuff goes on, but only with your eyes. You'll be able to see the reward of the wicked. What's the reward of the wicked? Part of the attribute of God is God's wrath. God hates sin. There will be judgment day. The reward of the wicked is that he may get away with all kinds of stuff now, but one day he's going to stand before God. And there will be no getting away on that day. God hates and will absolutely righteously judge sin and wrong. 
The reason we can say I can trust God with vengeance is because of his wrath. His wrath is not crazy, psycho like my wrath. My wrath looks a little nutty. I'll be honest. One day, how old were we when we had that old Ford truck, baby? You remember the 68 Ford? We had this old 68 Ford truck. It reminded me of uh, Fred Flintstone. Because I had to put a piece of plywood on the floorboard or my feet would stick out the bottom. You could see the road go by. And one day, I, I used to have problems with my temper. I know none of you guys have that. I'll just share with you some of my failings. So I have a problem with my temper, and sometimes uh, it's irrational. And I don't know about you, but sometimes my wrath only makes a situation worse. I don't know if that's that way for you guys. but So I pull in. I pull in the food, I think it's food for less, might have been Stater Brothers, in California. I pull in the parking lot, and I get out there, and I'm, 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 I'm relatively happy. You know, I'm getting something at the grocery store, and I close my door. I get out the truck, and I close my door. And it goes, and bounces right back at me. And I'm like, oh, huh. Push the door handle a couple times, you know, striker must be stuck. Bounces right back at me. I close it again. Bounces. Every time I try to close it, I'm just a little madder than I was a minute before. Now, people are starting to walk by, you know, because they're all going into the store. And at one point, I got two hands on that door, and I'm pulling back, and I'm slamming. And it won't close, won't close. Finally, I hold it shut, and I start kicking it. Boom! But the, so the whole door's caving in, turning into like a moon. And slowly sinking into the... Is it, am I making the situation better? Really not making it much better. And as I'm kicking it and kicking it and beating it and screaming at it, and people are kind of taking their children and going to the other side around me, as all that stuff's going on, my wrath is exploding all over this car. I hear click, and the striker lets loose, and the door closes. And I back up, and I think, oh, that don't look so good. I might have to use a bungee cord to hold the door closed from now on. Because my wrath's out of control. God's wrath's not out of control. God's wrath is predisposed. He said, I will judge wickedness and sin. It will happen. Every knee will bow. This will be the result. It's not out of control. And when does it come? At exactly the right time. Exactly the right time. Anybody ever done wrong to you and you want to get them right now? Think about it. Anybody ever done wrong to you? And I'm going to get them. I just want to. Yeah. I wish I had a big stick right now. Well, I just want you to think. The Canaanites, who were in the land before the Israelites. When God's talking to Abraham, he says to Abraham, You know, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this land. But your people are going are gonna to be strangers in a strange land. And they're going to be slaves for 400 years but afterwards I'm going to bring them out and give them the land do you know why he says that because the iniquity of the Amorites or the Canaanites is not full I'm going to give them more time can you imagine somebody doing horrific things you know and God God's wrath is such that he gives them 400 years to repent but when that doesn't come judgment day happens and God's wrath comes down 
and it gets dealt with. That's God's wrath, not uncontrollable, not crazy, not Jackie in the Stater Brothers parking lot beating up his truck. God's is just simply, I'm calling you to repentance. What is it that leads men to repentance? It's that pause. That 400 years pause is called the goodness of God, which leads men where? Goodness of God leads men to repentance. God gives that space. Now, think with me. Revelation chapter 6. We've seen the opening of all the seals. You know, the crazy stuff going on. The end times. Tribulation has begun. All the stuff being poured out. And the wrath of God is being poured out. And the mankind is running where? To God? Saying, forgive me? No, where's he running? To the mountains and the caves. Calling for rocks to fall on me. And hide me from what? The wrath of the Lamb. Hide me from the wrath of the Lamb. Why? Because the judgment day has come and I still don't want to repent. You read the book of Revelation, you're going to see that phrase over and over again. What phrase? And still they would not repent. If man repents, God will forgive. If man rebels, God will judge. And that's what he's talking about here. Judgment day coming. Look at verse 9. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. So he's still talking to these guys. Because you have used, you are making the Lord your refuge, just like he's my refuge. No evil will ever befall you. Now when the Bible says no evil will ever befall you, it's not saying you won't have difficulty, persecution, people won't come against you. It's saying your end result will not be evil. In other words, you don't end in hell. Get what I'm saying? So you don't have to worry about hell. You don't have to worry about standing in the hands of a God who hates sin as a sinner covered with your own sin with no expectation but the wrath of God to be poured out. He's saying, oh, you don't have to worry. No, no evil will befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. God's got you, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Does that sound familiar? That's a particular scripture that Satan used to twist and try to tempt Jesus. Jump off the temple. Because he says he's given his angels charge over you. He won't even let you dash your foot on a stone. You shall not tempt the Lord your God, nor shall you put him to the test. That's Jesus' response from Deuteronomy. Jesus' response to the temptation used his shield of truth. It says in verse 12, In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Everything that you need for victory in life you have in Jesus Christ. Everything you need. You don't lack a thing. He has it all. And if you're in him, if he's your refuge, you got it. Now it's time just to walk with him and trust. Walk with him and trust. If either he'll give you the strength for the journey to overcome, or he'll deliver you from it. One way or the other, God has you. Now look at verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me. Verse 14 is God, God's response to the psalmist. This is God responding. God is saying, 
um, so the first song says, God's my refuge. And if he's your refuge, he's going to take care of you. And now God's responding. Because he has set his love on me. What is it that God wants from you? That's it. We're pretty sure it's a hundred different other things, right? God wants our love. He says, because he has set his love upon me, I will deliver him. Because he has set his love upon me, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Remember I told you, how do they know his name? That once they were outside of the covenant, they don't know the name of God. So how do they get to know the name of God? They enter into the covenant, right? The Old Testament was the Old Covenant. So the entrance to a relationship with God was through the nation of Israel, right? But then Jesus came, we're going to talk about it on Sunday, and he ushered in what covenant? The new covenant, right? The new covenant was talked about in the book of Jeremiah, right? God said, the days are coming when I'm going to pour out my spirit on the flesh. I'm going to take your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my law on your heart. I'm going to put things inside of you. That's the new covenant. But the new covenant could not come until there was the sacrifice that would usher it in. Remember Moses, the sacrifices went up, talked to God, got the... Ten Commandments, all that stuff ushered in the Old Covenant. When Christ died on the cross, what did that do? It ushered in the New. And with the New Covenant, what was expected? Scripture. That's why God called His disciples to lay the foundation. What did they do? They wrote the New Testament. I can tell a lot of people in my life, I saw Jesus, this is what Jesus did, and I can tell them all. But if I want the word of my experience with Christ to last, what do I need to do? Write it down. So today, if you were to count all of them, all the copies of all the times that people copied the books of the Bible, you have some crazy number like 60,000 copies in all languages. Latin, Greek, Coptic, Arabic, all the different copies that were ever made. There's this huge number huge number but you know if you wiped all those out you obliterated them all and all you used was the first group of guys called the early church fathers the first group of pastors that came out after the disciples if all you used was their writings do you know how much of the bible you could reproduce everything but 11 verses even if I didn't have one of those copies. Well, we have tons of them. So when we look at it, we got to understand that the, the foundation that we stand on, the Word of God, is a firm foundation. It can be that which we put our trust and our hope in. It is our truth. And God says, look, when you enter into that new covenant, how did Jesus say we entered into that new covenant? He said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my Blood, you have no part of me. So what happens when we eat? If I eat a brownie, what happens to the brownie? Where does it go? In me. Oh, it's in me. So the brownie is in me. So what is Jesus saying? He wants to be where? In you. So he wants to be a part of you. He wants to be a part of who you are. That's the most intimate of all relationship. To be in you. 
So he's saying, i got to be in you. The blood that I shed for the remission of sin, that blood, that's got to be on you. It's got to cover you. It's got to be a part of your life. My flesh, my body, my sacrifice, it's got to be a part of your life. And I enter into that new covenant. And when I enter into that new covenant, what happens? I know his name. And he knows me. I know him. He knows me. I can hold fast. Look what it says in verse 15. He shall call upon me. That's God speaking. So God is saying, this person will call upon me and I will, what does it say? Answer him. Let's say, I will say yes. Oh, that's a little trickier, right? He says, they will call on me and I will answer him. God responds. There's a response when we pray. There's a response from God when we call upon his name. He says, I will be with him in trouble. So what's his promise? I'll be with him. If them big waves are crashing into that lighthouse, and we're the guy standing on the deck, and God's the lighthouse, he's with us. And we can find a place to stand where the wave breaks around the lighthouse and don't get us. Right? Because he's our refuge. He's with us in trouble. Doesn't take away our trouble. What's he say? I will be with him in trouble. What's the next phrase? I will deliver him. There's two ways God can deliver you. Maybe there's more ways that God can deliver you. God can, if we're dealing with sickness, God can heal you. Right? Uh, God can give you the strength to endure. God can take you home. All of those are deliverance. Everyone is deliverance. What God's primarily concerned with is you get home safe. And he's my refuge. When I'm with him, I'm good. You get what I'm saying? So he says, I'll deliver you. I will deliver him. And then what's the next phrase? Honor him. Honor him. That means, that means when we, it's, it's intimating that we have a relationship of humility before God. If we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, what does he swear that he'll do? Yeah, I'll lift you up. You humble yourself to me, and I will lift you up. What's another way to say that? I'll honor you. Jesus said, don't take the place of highest, the highest seat at the table. Sit at the lowest place. And the guy, the head man of the table, he'll lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So we want God to honor we want that honor that occurs when we humble ourselves how do we enter into him as our refuge i have to humble myself what do i mean because most of the time we think we've got it under control right i got control and when we're really frustrated and struggling is those times our life indicates to us we don't have any control now just so you know you never had any control anyway as far as I'm concerned, control is an illusion. When I was a kid, I was so sure that I was like, um, uh, I was Racer X. You guys know who Racer X is? We got any old guys who ever saw Speed Racer? No? What's wrong with you people? I got one guy, two people who knew Speed Racer. Three! Okay, so I feel better. So Racer X was a dude, always, he could always come out of no place at just the right time and just do every. And so I was pretty sure that's how I drove a car. 
from 16 to 18, I think I totaled something like 10 vehicles. Yeah, you think your teenagers are rough? You should have had me. I, my dad would cringe when I called him. Especially if it's like 1 in the morning. Hey, dad? Oh, don't. Don't say it. I wrecked a car. Uh, in the beginning, he used to say, are you okay? And then he would say, tell me you, you got hurt this time because something needs to put a stop to all this. I wrecked and wrecked and totaled and crashed and did all this stuff because I was sure I was in control until I was not in control. Life's just like that, man. You're cruising along, good job, family life's good, everything's great, and all of a sudden your wife tells you she don't love you no more. Didn't see that coming, did you? Oh, I can control this. If I can put together the right thing to say or maybe give her flowers or do something, I can turn it around. But no matter what you do, you can't change what's happening. You're not in control. No different than I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden, whoop, whoop, probably shouldn't have cut across that field and tried to jump the ditch. They can only do that in, in the movies. Yeah, in real life, you wreck your car when you do that. Fortunately, I did it with my dad's car and not mine. So I still had wheels. Not in control. God is. God is in control. And we need to recognize when he is in control, we can trust him. We can know he's got us. But in coming to a place where I say, you're in control, is a position of humility for me. Right? So when I do that, what's God say? I honor you. Stop thinking you got it all worked out. The best laid plans of mice and men at the end of the day are still the best laid plans of mice and men. Not the best laid plans of God. And most of us probably wouldn't have picked several different things that came into our life. And and I would love to go back. I, I Even in the last six years, there's probably three or four decisions I'd like back. Do we get those? No. Do we get to move backwards? What direction we got to go? Forward. Okay, so we got to keep moving forward and saying, you know what, God, you're in control. You're in control. Take that position of humility. Allow God to honor you. And what is his promise of verse 16? With long life, I will satisfy him. Long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, I don't want you to start thinking, oh, I'm not sure I want to live long. When I was 21, I did not ever want to be 40. That, dear Lord, my prayer would be, please, take me before I get old like that. And then I become 40, and I thought, you know, it's not really all that old. And then I become 50, and I said, oh, it's starting to get that old. When he says, I want to give him long life, with long life I will satisfy him, what he's talking about is what Jesus promised. Jesus promised us that he would give us life how? Life more what? Life more abundantly. Yeah, eternal life, that's a long life too, right? But he's talking about abundance. I'm going to satisfy you with your life. At the end of your life, it'll be good. You may go through craziness, but it'll be good. And what is the hope in all of that? What is the anchor that brings it all? That God's my refuge. Is God your refuge? 
He needs to be your refuge. That place where we are safe. We're safe. Because God's got us. He's not going to destroy us. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to uh, put our eyes on you, put our eyes in your word, see what your word has laid out for us. God, you do so many incredible things for us, and you teach us, and you show us, and you walk with us. God, help us recognize that you are our refuge, that you are our strong tower, that the waves can beat against you all day long. But it won't destroy me because I'm standing with you. And I'm covered by the wings of El Shaddai, Almighty God. You got me. And while you may still want me to go through the storm, you promise to give me what's necessary to get me to the other side. For even the psalmist declared in Psalm 23 that I will go through the valley of the shadow of death, but I won't be there forever. You promise I will go through the valley. I don't stay. So God, I just pray that we might know you. We might hold fast to your truth. The things that you promise us. That our lives we would recognize are in your hands. That we would make the choice. If we're not in the covenant. If we don't know you. It all starts with that. Entering into the covenant. Making Jesus Christ a part of my life. And the way that I do that is I simply repent of my sin and place my faith and trust in Him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tell us if we confess Jesus Christ, we confess the Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, that we shall be saved. Confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. In other words, I say, you are my king. I follow you now. God, we just pray that you would move in this place. Lead us, direct us, guide us into that position where we can know. In you, I don't ever have to be afraid. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.